Now this morning I, I do get the privilege of preaching about preaching. And it's like we're breaking that fourth wall that they talk about in acting, where the actor knows they're acting and the audience knows they're acting, but you're not supposed to talk about the fact that you know you're acting. And, and I just wanted to go ahead and break that wall down today, that I preach and you listen to preaching. It's what the church does. It's what the church has always done. We read about preachers in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, church history. Preaching's just kind of the thing at the church. And yet, not everybody finds preaching equally valid or useful. In fact, the 19th century English author Anthony Trollope wrote in his novel, Barchester Towers, about a certain pudgy Anglican priest. He talked about the preaching ministry of this pudgy man and the way that people had to suffer underneath it. He, he put his opinion like this. There's perhaps no greater hardship inflicted on mankind in civilized and free countries than the necessity of listening to sermons. No one but a preaching clergyman has the power of compelling an audience to sit silent and be tormented. <laughs> now, y'all don't answer out loud, but can y'all relate to that? You know what he's talking about. You know, you know you've suffered through some sermons, I'm sure, suffered through some of mine. Graciously, I know that for a fact. And Trollope's quote's interesting, and it, it provokes a chuckle and maybe a nod, like, yeah, hey, yeah, he's right. Who could get away with subjecting people to 40 minutes of a monologue anymore. Not many people. And yet at the same time, we look around us and we recognize that not many people go to church anymore. You know, it's not the thing that it maybe once was. A um, lot of people rarely darken the door of a church. And so they've kind of removed themselves from this perpetual torment of an endless stream of sermons. But we haven't. Here y'all are, and here I am, doing this thing again, preaching. And it just makes you wonder, why do we continue to subject ourselves week in and week out to preaching? Why? You know, you, you might could say, well, there's a historical reason. It's a holdover from an earlier time. You know, before social media, TikTok and YouTube, where you could tune in to, to any preacher or teacher. Before there were TED Talks, you had sermons. Before there was TV or broadcast radio, you went to church and you, you gained some information about life. But if it's only for historical reasons that we have preaching, we ought to let it go. There's more useful ways of gaining information than listening to somebody on a platform talk. If it's because preaching is somehow the most useful mechanism for enacting cultural change, then we need to have a long and hard conversation. Christian preachers have been at it for a couple thousand years, and people go on from bad to worse. Preaching seems pretty ineffective in that case. Now, if you're going on utilitarian arguments that preaching is the most useful way of delivering information and cultural change, or if you're talking historical arguments, then maybe we should quit preaching. This morning, I want you to see that it's neither of those. That preaching is essential to what it means to be God's people in a broken world because God brings his people into obedience through biblical preaching. All right, I'm going to throw this out there. This is my point for the day. I want you to chew on it and think about it. I want you to test it and see if it's true. 
that God brings his people into obedience through biblical preaching. So open up your Bible with me, and let's get after this biblical preaching in Titus 2.15. Titus 2.15. We got one verse to cover today, so we should be out of here quick. <laughs> uh, we all get the joke, right? No, we're not going to be quick about this one. No, Titus 2.15. Paul says, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's short enough. Let's read it again. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we've been working our way through Titus chapter 2, and we have just dissected this thing uh, deeper than maybe we should have. But we've seen the kind of lifestyle that God calls his people to live. It's a totally different way than they lived before they came to faith in Christ. They're living behind ungodliness and worldly desires, and they're being transformed by the gospel so that they live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We saw that last week, the way God's people are grace people. And of course, this new lifestyle that God calls people to take on and that Titus is supposed to instruct these churches on the island of Crete in is not mystical or spiritual, but it actually makes a difference in the way people live in the everyday relationships of life, in the way they interact with their families, in the way they interact with other Christians in the church, in the way they interact with coworkers and employers. That God's people are supposed to live differently because of who they are in Christ. And as Paul begins to wind down this section, he turns his attention away from the conduct of God's people on the island of Crete, and he starts to look back at his assistant, Titus, the guy he's left there to finish the hard work of planting and establishing these churches, of appointing leaders who are going to teach and instruct God's people. He wants to know, Titus, he wants Titus to know that his responsibility to the teaching of chapter 2 is not to just throw it out there into the ether and see if it sticks. But he's supposed to speak these things, exhort these things, and reprove these things with all authority and let nobody disregard him. I believe that those three things provide to us a pretty comprehensive picture of the task of biblical preaching. All right, they're not synonyms. They're not interchangeable, even though they are relatable. Instead, I think they provide for us a multifaceted view of Titus's task as preacher. And they tell us that biblical preaching always addresses individuals. All right, biblical preaching always addresses individuals. We see this because first Paul tells Titus he must speak these things. Now, the Greek verb for speak literally means to speak, to make sounds with your vocal cords that are going to communicate some kind of nugget of an idea, to speak. Throughout the New Testament, that's the way the word is used. People speak to each other. But there are times when this verb is used to talk almost um, uniquely or specially about speaking God's word or the gospel to people who'd never heard it before. Um, for example, in Acts chapter 5, the apostles Peter and John are thrown into a Jerusalem prison cell. 
And while they're there, the angel of the Lord appears to them and unlocks the doors of their prison and gives them a task. This is Acts 5, verse 20. The angel tells them, Go, stand, and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Go, stand, and speak. But not just empty words. Don't just go out there and say something that you think is going to be good or valuable or important. No, they had a special message to communicate. The words of this life. Go speak the words of this life. Paul describes his own ministry in Thessalonica in a similar way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. He says, After we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. To speak the gospel. Speak the gospel. Speak the words of this life. There's something more going on than simple peer-to-peer communication where I make some sounds with my mouth and they go into your ears and into your brain and you decipher them as having some kind of special meaning. He's not talking about speech. He's talking about the unique task of communicating the gospel message to people who hadn't heard it before. To proclaim, some translations put it in Titus 2.15. Or to declare, or the NIV says, to teach these things. See, when Titus thought about his task of all this practical life stuff in Titus chapter 2, he was to communicate these spiritual truths from God to God's people, knowing that there were going to be many people present who had never heard it before. It was fresh to them. When he went and talked about the way old men were supposed to live, the way old women were supposed to live, young men, young women, slaves and masters, he was going to be introducing some people to God's truth for the very first time. I think that's what Paul means. He's going to speak these things. These things. At the same time, he was called to exhort. Maybe your Bible says encourage. This word goes beyond the simple act of communicating or introducing truth to people who'd never heard it before. Here what Paul means is that Titus is going to remind people who already knew what God had told them to do. Paul's already used this word back in Titus 1.9 when he described the task of overseers. He said they needed to be men who held firm to sound doctrine so they would be able to exhort others in it. He'd encourage other people in the truth of the gospel. He used the word in Titus 2.6 to talk about the way Titus was supposed to urge young men towards good works. In both cases, the clear implication is that the exhortation Paul has in mind from both the overseers and from Titus is the kind of kick in the pants that God's people need from time to time. When we need to be reminded, urged, and impressed upon, not just to know God's truth, but to live it out. And so that's what Paul tells Titus to do. You need to exhort these things. Remind God's people again and again and again and again of the calling they've received from Christ and tell them they better get busy about living it out. And finally, he says they need, he needs to reprove these things. Or maybe your Bible says rebuke. And again, Paul used this word back in Titus 1.9 to talk about the way overseers would need to rebuke or refute those who spoke against the gospel. The word means to bring something into the light 
And when Paul uses it here, he means that Titus's task is going to require that he expose certain behaviors or thought patterns as contrary to God's plan for his people. He's going to have to correct them, reprove them, refute them. To put it another way, Titus's preaching was aimed at revealing the places in the churches of Crete where God's people had drifted away from his design for their lives. And so you take these facets of Titus's task together. He's supposed to speak to people who'd never heard it before. He's supposed to exhort those who'd heard it but need an encouragement to get after it. He needs to rebuke those who had departed from it. And you start to get a picture of what it means to preach. I mean, in every congregation, whether it's on the island of Crete or whether it's in Luling, Texas, you're bound to have newcomers to the faith. People who are exploring Christianity, trying to figure out if it's something that makes sense for them and their lives. And for that, the preacher has to be aware and speak things to them, to teach things, to explain things for those who've never heard it before. Then they're going to be old-timers, people who've been around the church a long time and know more about the Bible than they're currently living out. And those people the preacher has to encourage and exhort to get after the mission that God's called them to do. Then, of course, there are backsliders. You ever been a backslider? We don't use that word much anymore. They're people who've drifted away from God's desire for them. They're living disobediently. And the preacher has to correct them, to expose those sinful behaviors as sin and call them to restoration, to get back in line with what God would have them to do. That is biblical preaching, taking all those people into consideration and applying God's word to each individually. It's not like the task of the marketer. Y'all are marketed to every day. These companies, they, they have all those details about our lives that we forget. You know, we saw something on a website one time that we wanted to buy and we forgot where it was. They know. They know exactly what you are and they're going to target you with ads. You know, is that preaching? Am I supposed to go through your mail? try to figure out who you are so I can tailor the message perfectly to you? That'd be creepy. You ought to get rid of me if I ever start doing something like that. Not a marketer. Is preaching like a political speech? Am I stumping for your votes? Do I want you to keep me around so I'm going to say the things I know you want to hear? What is preaching if it isn't being willing to speak to those who are newcomers, to encourage those who are old-timers, and to correct those who are backsliders. That is what it means to be a preacher and to preach biblical sermons, to recognize that in every gathering of God's people, the church is present as a corporate body. And yet there are individuals that need to hear a word from God in the unique, particular circumstances of their lives. That God wants to speak to kids. Did you all know that? That's why they're here. God so orchestrated the events of their life so they'd be here too. So that they'd hear his word as individuals. God wants to speak to high schoolers who are facing stuff we can't even imagine, wrap our heads around the things these kids are going through. God wants to speak to them individually in the unique circumstances of their life. This is not a one-size-fits-all message. God is driving the point of the Bible home to each of us individually in biblical preaching. That's why my aim every Sunday 
is to try to take into consideration all the different people who are going to be present and get out of the way so they can hear God's word to them. My biggest fear is that I'll commit the error that Charles Spurgeon talked about. He said, some preachers put the truth on such a high shelf that it must be they heard Christ's command to feed his sheep as actually saying, feed my giraffes. But you know what he's talking about. Maybe he's saying something good. Maybe he's saying something true. He's talking about verbs and Greek and all that good stuff. But what does that have to do with me? No. Biblical preaching means that the Word of God is not addressed to some people somewhere, but it's addressed to each of you in the unique circumstances in your life. And so the preacher's job is to get out of the way and let God's Word speak. And I trust my only hope in preaching is that God takes my feeble efforts and I use a grid call it an application grid and on the left side I have empty boxes for all my major points God's Word addresses individuals our biblical preaching addresses individuals biblical preaching is authoritative biblical preaching is aimed at obedience and across the top I have categories of people and things that I want to apply each major point to. I talk about what's the application in the unique situation that's in the text. What's the unique situation that this text applies to in Crete? But I get out of that quick and I think about what does this mean for an unbeliever? What does it mean for an unbeliever? I want to get it across to an unbeliever. I want to get it across to the public. What does it mean for us as citizens of a particular place, Luling, Texas, or the United States of America? How does it apply to our lives in the public sphere? How does it apply to Christ? What does this point have to do with Jesus? What does this point have to do with me as a Christian and in a family? What does it mean for us as Central Baptist Church? I want to apply God's Word not just to us, but to you, who you are. And I trust that God is going to take my feeble efforts and go deeper and farther than I ever could. You know what I'm talking about? When you're hearing a sermon, and all of a sudden you have the unique awareness that you're in God's spotlight. That the preacher's up there talking about something, but you know that God is speaking to you. You feel totally exposed before Him. Whatever was just said was said so that you would hear it. And that's what I think biblical preaching is about. It's about the preacher getting out of the way and letting God's Word speak that the Holy Spirit of God can apply it directly to His people on an individual level so that you know what it's going to mean in your life this week, in your work, in your family, in your school, and the obstacles you're facing with the burdens you're carrying. God wants to speak to you in preaching on the individual level. And when that happens, we discover that the, Bible, the biblical preaching doesn't just address us as individuals, it addresses us authoritatively. This is not generic truth. This is binding, authoritative truth for me. I mean, you look again at verse 15, and Paul tells Titus, these things you've got to speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. With all authority. And this is a challenging verse for us. We live in an anti-authoritarian age. I mean, we think about our society, and it's easy to see the deep distrust that people have for authorities. We distrust government, news organizations, educational institutions, and of course we distrust organized religion. Why should you 
listen to the 30 or 40 minute monologue of a 30 something guy up on a platform. Who, who made him boss? Who said he's worth listening to? And I feel that. It's a struggle sometimes. Why should people listen to any preacher who ever stands up? Sometimes you feel totally exposed by them. They're looking at you. They know you. You live in this little town. Everybody knows everything about you, your goings and your comings. And here you are going to stand up and try to preach to them. And I imagine that Titus must have felt the same sort of burden. Here he is, the apostolic delegate, assigned, but surely in his mind, abandoned to the island of Crete to finish the work of establishing churches. Who is he to go into a new place and say, hey, just want to let you guys know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and y'all better fall in line. But Paul tells him, preach with all authority. You start to wonder, what authority? Where does this authority come from? And in one sense, maybe Titus could appeal to his positional authority. He could tell him, show him the badge. Hey, I'm Titus. I'm here on behalf of the Apostle Paul, the esteemed Apostle Paul. Surely you know him. And therefore, as his representative, you owe me all your obedience. Everything I say, you got to do. He could appeal to his position as apostolic delegate and assistant to the Apostle Paul. And pastors can do that too. We can say, hey, I'm the pastor, I'm the preacher, and what I say goes. But y'all know positional authority is always the weakest form of authority. Just having a job title doesn't mean that people are going to listen to what you say. And I've discovered, whether it's in, at home or in a workplace, if you've got to go around reminding people you're in charge, you aren't. So I don't think Titus means it's positional authority. I don't think Paul's talking about positional authority. Okay, he's talking about something else. And maybe he's talking about not positional authority, but personal authority. You know, Paul had told Titus back in Titus 2.6 that he's supposed to be an example of good works. And so maybe the authority Paul's talking about is the authority that's derived from living a life consistent with the message you preach. You know what I mean? He walks the walk and he talks the talk. He practiced what he preached. And there is a certain authority that comes from that. Uh, we can sense hypocrisy in a preacher. You can tell it all over him. You know that he's saying words, and technically those words may be true, but you know they don't mean anything to him. Jesus told us, beware of those people. He said to analyze the fruit of their life alongside the message they teach and have nothing to do with somebody who says something good but lives totally contrary to it. He says they're false teachers. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And it's like one pastor said, it's, it's obvious that a holy and blameless life imparts authority to instruction. But y'all, if the authority of the preacher rests in his ability to live a holy and blameless life, I'm in trouble, okay? I'm in trouble. Y'all see me at my best with my shirt tucked in and my hair fixed. Y'all come over on a Thursday night and you're bound to see something different. So I'm hoping it's something more than personal authority derived from a holy life. Every preacher's an empty vessel longing to be filled by the Spirit and hoping that God can somehow draw a straight line with a crooked stick. So there's got to be something else. You start to dig a little and you think about this word authority. It's not the usual word authority that Paul uses elsewhere. He actually only uses this word seven times and it's unique to Paul's letters. And six of those times Paul uses the word authority not as authority but as command. And he'll say, I say this 
not by way of command. And it's the Greek verb that's translated authority in Titus 2.15. In those places, the dictionary tells us that a command is an authoritative directive. They're obligations and necessities of the Christian life. But it's only in Titus 2.15 where this verb is translated as authority. Authority. And I take it to mean that in the same way those individual commands are obligations on every Christian, Paul means that Titus is supposed to speak, exhort, and reprove in such a way that what comes out of his mouth is shown to be obligatory. It comes with the force of obligation. These aren't options or hints or guidelines. These are authoritative commands. And I struggle with that. Because who alone has authority to tell his people how they're supposed to live? God alone possesses the authority to dictate the manner of life that's appropriate for his people. So the authority Paul has in mind can't be any authority that Titus derives from his position as apostolic delegate or any pastor could claim as pastor. It doesn't come from a perfect personal life, as if Titus or any preacher since has had that. Instead, the authority Paul is talking about is the authority that's inherent in the Word of God. It's the authority that's derived from this thing. That's the only authority any preacher can claim. Jesus recognized this authority. You know, when he was tempted by Satan, the words that came out of his mouth were straight scripture. He quoted scripture back. And he warned his disciples against the foolish disregard for the law of God. He said, don't think that I came to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And of course, in his life, everything he did was in perfect submission to the authority of God's word. He obeyed it completely. And yet there was another authority present in Jesus' life. When he spoke, people saw it. They said, this man teaches as one with authority, not as one of the scribes. It's the kind of authority that could call a demon out of a person, and it came out. The kind of authority that could calm the waves and the wind of a stormy sea, and it was still. It's an authority that was inherent in who Jesus was as the Word of God made flesh. But then Jesus takes this authority and he does something amazing. He delegates it. Matthew tells us in Matthew 10 that Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He tells his disciples that what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. He says as his parting words to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Jesus takes the authority that's in the Word of God written, and in him the Word of God made flesh, and he delegates it to his disciples. And the amazing thing is that they self-consciously think of their task in that way. They see themselves as representatives sent out by the one who has all the authority. The word the Apostle Paul used for it is ambassador. And he said in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God himself were making an appeal through us, 
we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Listen, when a preacher opens his mouth and starts to speak or exhort or rebuke, he doesn't do so as a pastor. He doesn't do so as a person who perfectly embodies the things he's about to say. He does so as an ambassador of Christ. He comes not in his own authority, but in the authority of another to simply declare the king's words to you. I'm just the messenger. Because of that, the authority Paul's talking about is no blank check for a preacher to get up on a soapbox or to ride a hobby horse and hound God's people to death. But to the extent that he rightly divides the word of truth, we as God's people are obligated to listen. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to speak authoritatively to you through the preaching of his word? With the force of obligation. I do. I believe that. Because if y'all are hoping that I'm going to come up with something useful enough to take up 30, 40, 45, 50 minutes of your time sometimes, we're out of luck. I don't have anything worth saying. But I know... that as long as heaven and earth exist... Not one word, not a jot, not a tittle from the Word of God is going to pass away. Amen. The Word of God is going to stand forever, and it is our final and only authority. So if you're hoping I'm going to come up with something to say, we're out of luck. But if you will go with me on the authority of the Word of God, we will have something to hear preached to us forever and ever and ever. We can't plumb the depths of the Word of God. So I'm going to preach the Bible because it's the only authority, and it's the only thing worth preaching or worth, ta worth talking about. I'm going to keep preaching through books of the Bible. Just taking them section by section. I'm trying to work up the courage to preach through the Gospel of Mark, which I think is going to take over 50 weeks. Y'all ready for a 50-week sermon series? Uh, but the truth is, what else would I preach? What else? So I'm going to keep preaching through books of the Bible. I'm going to keep trying my best to make the point of every text the point of my sermon. I don't want to use the Bible as a trampoline. Hop on and then hop off to what I really want to talk about. I don't want to use it as a diving board. I'm just going to start here and dive off into something that I really want to tell you about. No, I'm going to do hard work to make the main point of my sermon, the main point of whatever text is in front of us. That's why this week I thought this sermon was going to be God's people and God's Word. And I keep saying it by accident that God's Word speaks to us individually and authoritatively and calls us to obedience. But on Friday morning, I realized this isn't about God's Word. This is about preaching. And so I had to preach about preaching, which I didn't want to do. But that's going to be my goal, to preach the point of the text. Because I believe if we want to hear God speak in full authority, it'll be as we open up his word and hear what he has to say to us. If we won't do that, I love this quote, and I'll share it with you. We won't listen to God's word, we're doomed. Because a deaf church is a dead church. So, we want to hear God speak to us through biblical preaching. And when that happens... 
when a church submits itself to the Word of God preached week in and week out, it's on its way to legitimate transformation. Okay? Transformation. Because the goal of all biblical preaching is obedience to God. That's it. That's what Titus 2.15 ends with. Let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you. In essence, as Paul wraps up this section of his letter on the basics of the Christian life, he tells Titus, your job is to get 100% compliance, 100% obedience. Everybody in the churches has to fall in line. Nobody is allowed to get out from under these obligatory commands. You're not at liberty to let them off the hook because the commands are challenging or unpopular. You're not allowed to make concessions or compromises. This is God's word. Let nobody disregard you. The churches were called to hear it, preached, spoken, exhorted, rebuked, in all its authority, and then they were to obey. Period. And don't you love how simple that is? We make the Christian life so challenging. It's simple. God says it, we do it. But I hope you recognize that this call to 100% compliance is again not an invitation to heavy-handed or domineering leadership from Titus. Paul isn't granting Titus permission for Titus to spiritually micromanage or control people's lives. That's not Paul's way. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 that the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Paul's not talking about Titus becoming spiritual Gestapo, going around and rounding up all these non-compliant, disobedient backsliders and telling them they got no place in God's house. Clearly we know we're works in progress. If the preacher's not perfect, who else could be? You know, he's supposed to be the guy who exemplifies the moral life, living out God's commands. We're all messed up. So we know 100% compliance is the aspiration and the goal. But what Paul instills in Titus is a biblical backbone. Titus had to believe that when he looked people in the face, individuals with messed up life circumstances, things happen to us and we're just victims of it all. He had to believe that when he spoke God's word with all authority, it was good for them to obey. That he wasn't offering to them some kind of disservice by telling them to obey God's word, by holding out to them the standard that God had set. He was doing what God wanted because what God wants is good for his people. So when, when Titus hears the words, let no one disregard you, he's not to go out and force compliance, but he is to remain committed to the standard because when God's people are out of alignment with God's standard, God's standard doesn't change. They do. God's standard stays the same. And biblical preaching is always aimed at calling God's people back to God's standard. That's just the way it's supposed to be. And of course, this, this obedience that we're talking about is going to be unique to each person. We talked about these three groups of four. To the newcomer, 
Obedience to the message means to receive it as truth. To hear for the first time that Jesus is the Son of God sent to live a sinless life to die in the place of sinners like us. To hear that is one thing. To obey it is another. To come to believe that you are the type of person who needs saving and that Jesus is the only way of salvation. To obey that word means to give your life and all to him. And every time the gospels preach, it demands obedience in that way. In fact, Paul says in Romans 10 that the way of salvation is simple. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's an open invitation that stands for you today. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And yet he recognizes that God doesn't write the message of the gospel in clouds so that everybody can see it. Instead, the message of the gospel comes, interestingly, he says, through a preacher. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the authoritative word of God that demands obedience. So every time the gospel is preached, the newcomer is called to respond in obedient humility and repentance before the Lord. The same way, obedience for the old-timer means getting back on track or recommitting oneself to doing what you know God, God's calling you to do or doubling down in the places in your life where you've been running your race, but you know you could even run harder. That's obedience to God's word. And to the rebellious and backslider, it's a brokenhearted repentance. It says, God, you see me in my sin. I've deviated from your standard. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from my sin. Help me to live differently from this day forward. That's the obedience we're talking about. Different from person to person in the unique stages of their life. But in every case, biblical preaching is aimed at obedience. But here's the deal. It's easy for God's people to stay at a safe distance from preaching. The image that came to mind as I was trying to communicate this is the people who attend a hockey game in person. Anybody here been to a hockey game? Okay. Lots of action on the ice. Puck flying here to here, guys flying around on tiny metal skates. Occasionally a fight breaks out. The crowd loves it. Occasionally will even stand up and cheer. But they are safe behind an impenetrable wall of glass. They're at distance from the action. Now we can be that way in the preaching moment where we sit back. Sometimes we even do it with our posture. Arms crossed. Head up. Head down. Looking around, you know. Getting distracted by all the things. We're, there's somebody doing something. There's some action happening. The guy's, what do they call it, gesticulating. He's intonating, but totally detached behind an impenetrable wall of glass. Sometimes we'll glean some information. Oh, it was interesting when he said that about that verb. Whatever. But we're detached, isolated, unmoved. But y'all, biblical preaching is not about entertainment. It's not about inspiration. It's not about transferring to you information. It's not about even indoctrination. Biblical preaching is always about 
transformation. And if you can, week in and week out, sit under the preaching of God's word and stay the same, we got issues. Biblical preaching always leads to obedience. So then why do you come to hear the word of God preached? Is it 35 minutes of torment? The worst torture you could possibly imagine? Is it out of habit? Tradition? Or is it because you believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when you gather with God's people, He's going to be there. And He's going to speak to you through His Word with full authority to the individual circumstances of your life. And by His Spirit, He's going to work it deep into the recesses of your heart so that you leave different than when you came. So that you're totally changed to be more like Jesus. If you're not coming to church to be changed, don't come. But if you want to be changed, then here are three attitudes that will get you on the way. Number one, come expecting to hear from God. Come expecting to hear from God. If God went through the trouble of orchestrating the events of your life to make sure you were here, you're not here by accident. But that there is something for you today. He brought you here so that you would hear it. Do you come with that level of expectation? Are you excited to be with God's people? Are you anticipating what you're going to hear from God's Word? Are you hoping, trusting, praying that He's going to speak to you exactly what you need to hear? If you don't come expecting, you're not likely to find anything. But if you come expecting, your world is liable to be changed. Once you get here, engage with discernment. Engage with the sermon. That means, first of all, listen to what's being said. Think about it. If you've got a piece of paper, write things down that jump out to you, not just the bullet points on the screen, but other things that God might cause you to think about, other verses that you turn to. You have complete permission while I'm preaching to open up the Bible and look in different places as God brings things to mind. It looks like a monologue, but y'all know there's multiple people here. I'm here, you're here, and God's here. And we're not having a monologue. We're having a divine conversation where the Lord himself is making his word known to us. It's not about the words out of my mouth. It's about what God is speaking to you individually. So engage with the sermon. Listen, think, write, respond. And then when the sermon's over, Examine yourself. Hold yourself against the standard of God's Word, like today. Well, I wonder how I do think about preaching. I don't know that I've ever thought about it before. What really am I trying to accomplish when I go and hear a sermon? Examine yourself. We've identified three different groups of people. The newcomer, the old-timer, and the backslider. Which one are you? I think God might want you to think about that. What do you need? Do you need to be taught, instructed in the fundamentals of the faith? Do you need to be encouraged, urged to do what you know you should be doing? Do you need to be rebuked and corrected so that you'd come back to the faith that you've abandoned? Examine yourself. 
You're here. God's here. I'm here. What? Why? What was the point of this whole thing? Examine yourself and see. Listen, church, I believe if we do this, it's naive, I think, a little bit, maybe. I believe preaching could change the world. Uh, you know, people say, hey, there's lots of important things we need to do out there, lots of ministry, and it's true, man. Our world needs the church of God to stand up and be the church. Okay, But how do we become the church if it isn't as God speaks to us week in and week out through preaching? No, we want to transform society. We want to see our city turned upside down by the gospel. I want to see little kids graduate school and go off to college, start families that they raise up to follow the Lord. I want to see this, this town, this country changed. Some people call that revival. And revival is always preceded by the bold proclamation of God's word in preaching. So if we want to see communities change, we want to see cities change, if we want to be God's people in a broken world, we got to be transformed through biblical preaching. Will y'all pray with me?